You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News Podcast for the week ending September 11, 2015. Hello, welcome back to our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Bill's colleague, content developer and fellow news writer, Dara Curran. Hi, everyone. And today is September 11, and before we start, we'd like to take a moment to remember those lost in the 9-11 terror attacks, including numerous federal employees. Our thoughts today are with those who lost family members, friends, and colleagues that day, and with everyone commemorating the anniversary of the attacks. Yes. So let's get started with headlines. On Labor Day, President Barack Obama signed an executive order requiring federal contractors and subcontractors to offer paid sick leave to employees beginning in 2017, making official a draft order that circulated in August. The order mandates that workers on federal contracts accrue at least one hour of sick leave for every 30 hours they work, which could then be used to cover time off for the employee's own illnesses or to care for family members, domestic partners, or other loved ones, as well as for other covered absences. The General Services Administration's 18F team is leading a project to help the government recruit, retain, and develop the next generation of the federal workforce. Sponsored by the Office of Personal Management and co-led by the Environmental Protection Agency, the GovConnect initiative encourages agencies to think differently about work, break down organizational silos, and facilitate collaboration and mentoring. The GovConnect team has identified three models for making that happen. Under GovProject, employees would be able to work part-time on a special project that would help them develop specific skills or expertise. With GovStart, employees would work part-time on innovative grassroots microprojects that would help them develop professional networks within their agencies and throughout government. And under GovCloud, employees would be hired by one agency and loaned out to others on a project-by-project basis to address critical skills gaps. The Department of Defense also is developing a number of civilian workforce reforms. In its Force of the Future plan, the department proposes expanding public-private sector talent exchange programs to for-profit companies, developing civilian talent management systems to identify top talent and provide skills training, expanding individual development opportunities for mid-career civilian employees and members of the senior executive service, and overhauling civilian human resources systems. The Force of the Future plan also proposes that DOD establish its own Defense Digital Services team, modeled after the U.S. Digital Service. Under the plan, DOD would stand up two DDS teams, one at the Pentagon and one in Silicon Valley, with a rolling workforce of temporary appointees. The digital team also would include a Digital Innovation Council, made up of technical experts from Defense, the U.S. Digital Services, and other innovation teams from government and the private sector. The department believes the plan would realize a five to ten-fold return on investment in the first year, in part by improving information technology acquisitions. Now, two weeks ago, we announced that the Army had awarded Oshkosh Defense a firm fixed-price contract with options for production of its joint light tactical vehicle. This week, that award is being protested by Lockheed Martin, which says it has concerns with the Army's evaluation of its offer. The Government Accountability Office will have 100 days to review the Army's evaluation and award process and issue its decisions. Oh, no, and that was such a long award program <laughs> in the first place. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh, that's such a huge deal. And now, oh, no, what a shame. Now we have another delay. <laughs> 
Well, the Department of State is looking for contractors with specialized cybersecurity experience to develop and maintain how-to cybersecurity playbooks to support its information resource management and information assurance program. According to state's request for information, the playbooks will address cyber risks with a variety of standards, methodologies, and processes that align policy, business, and technological approaches and industry best practices. Required modules will include cloud computing and mobile device security, data encryption, and two-factor authentication. And some awards. Air Force Master Sergeant Jeremy Swistak has been honored by the Department of Defense with the Richard Dick Jinmin Contingency Contracting Officer Excellence Award, which, of course, recognizes contingency contracting officers who emulate Jinmin's service to the nation and support of the contingency contracting community. Swistak was nominated for his achievements while supporting Operation Enduring Freedom in 2014. NextGov has announced the winners of the third annual BOLD Awards, which recognize federal employees who creatively used technology to improve government performance. The winners include federal employees from GSA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Central Intelligence Agency, National Security Agency, and the Departments of Defense, Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, and Veterans Affairs. Finally, Federal Computer Week has announced the 2015 Rising Star Awards, which recognize individuals in the first 10 years of their federal IT careers who already are having a big impact in the community. Honorees include employees from the U.S. Forest Service, NASA, Customs and Border Protection, EPA, and the Departments of Homeland Security and Health and Human Services. And finally, we had two items from the Federal Register this week, both fairly minor. First, the Office of Management and Budget published a correction to its guidance requiring federal funding recipients to have Dun & Bradstreet Universal Numbering System numbers and to maintain current registrations in the Central Contractor Registration Database, which is now the System for Award Management. Now, most of the changes are editorial in nature, but the correction does clarify that non-federal entities have a grace period of two fiscal years to implement changes to their procurement policies and procedures in accordance with the guidance on procurement standards. And we also had a correction to a final rule that amended the FAR to implement inflation adjustments to certain acquisition thresholds. The original final rule amended the thresholds for small business planning and contract bundling, but both of those are controlled by the Small Business Administration. This correction removes those thresholds, and we presume SBA will be taking action to increase those later. So with lawmakers finally back in town, how they are handling the all-important purse strings for the next fiscal year has taken front and center stage. Yes, uh, between the presidential race and speculation about the shutdown and the continuing resolution, Mm. there hasn't been a whole lot in the news uh, for the contracting world lately, that is for sure. Yes, and and tips on surviving a CR as people look forward is one of the most common themes we're seeing lately. This past week was no exception to that. Federal News Radio had interviewed Keith Trippi, who now heads up his own firm, but previously was executive director of the Department of Homeland Security's Enterprise System Development Office. So he's an IT guy, right? And one of the things I found really interesting about his interview was how much he emphasized managing the human aspect of a continuing resolution. I think, you know, you hear the term CR and then uh, first thing your mind goes to is, ah, there goes the money. In my head, I picture a water tap, you know, the dollar faucet turning off. Yes, and, and uh, yes, and all those things the dollars pay for, the programs, the acquisition plans, uh, either being shelved or snuffed, that is the first thing you, that pops into your mind. Right. So for me, that's like a train grinding to a halt on the track. So 
<laughs> now, Trippy, in his interview, he, he shone a light really on the whole other realm that I don't really think that we think about all that often, which is, what about your workforce? <laughs> what about the stress on them? What about their morale? And not just the federal workforce. <laughs> Tri- <laughs> yeah, Trippy also uh, he made the point that not only is it hard on feds who you know who see projects delayed um, indefinitely or derailed, uh, but this happens to contractors also. <laughs> and speaking from experience, yes. I can attest that the uncertainty is very stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all been through the shutdown together. So, and you know, I noticed this theme is percolating to the surface more and more. Actually, at an event just recently, uh, which we covered in the news this week, National Intelligence Director James Clapper mentioned morale of his staff and how they're really grappling with budget issues. This wasn't even in terms of a continuing resolution, but just the general fluctuations in priorities and certainly, of course, effects from sequestration. So I think this can be kind of insidious because there's already so many pressures in government right now, right? Get the job done, limited resources, and you can't even put a dollar amount on this to, you know, point at and say, oh, my gosh, you know, it's what is the cost when you take away the enthusiasm of your staff? What's the cost when your employees have to get acclimated to operating under a here today, but it could be gone tomorrow environment? Isn't that going to drain you of the very creativity agencies are saying they want to cultivate? Isn't that going to sap your dedication to your job no matter how committed you are? Right, right. Operating under a, a constant emergency situation, right, constant fluctuation um and and that that impacts recruitment and retention right i mean you know since the pay freeze for example this has been a couple of years now you know feds who have been planning on retiring in the far future were thinking hmm maybe today sounds like a good time you know maybe next month you know they they you know we hear talk about the top five versus the top three and people are getting out um you know, not to mention we have stiff competition with the private sector to get the best people um, in the areas like research and development and cybersecurity. You know, if you follow the mainstream news, a lot of what you hear about federal employment is negative. Pay freezes, shutdowns, it's furloughs. And highly skilled IT folks, scientists, lawyers, they know the salaries already are going to be lower in, in the you know public sector. Uh, the red tape is more extensive. And then you throw it on top of that. They might not even be able to do what they come to government to do, at least not in the most efficient way. And that makes it a hard sell. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of times they do say, well, the people who do still come to the public sector, it's because they want to make a difference. Right. So anyway, that's it's all very true. So but before we talk ourselves into the doldrums too much here, uh, Trippy did give some advice <laughs> for mitigating these effects. Now, at first was the old standby, right? Communication. Exactly. And two-way communication. So, you know, managers should talk to their staff about what's being put on hold, what's being prioritized. And Trippy told managers to make sure that they're finding out what their staff is thinking as well, uh, you know, using things like regular town hall meetings or brown brown bag lunch meetings, um, and getting managers mobilized for two-way communication. And agencies should be transparent about what's happening. Don't leave people guessing. I, I kind of like that, you know, he pointed out people are going to be depressed, right? They they have career plans they want to move forward. They want to grow their skills. And even contractors, they're hoping to get their successful projects in the bag. And I kind of thought points mentioned in actually two totally unrelated articles um, maybe tied into this. I was wondering if we could tease some takeaways from it or at least some potential ideas, right? So one was a commentary about how to improve performance within an organization, 
both as a whole and for individual employees. Now, there's definitely some crossover with Trippy in the tips that were provided in there. For example, open, honest, direct communication, right? And then managing your agreements. You know, you try to commit to things that you really can do and you follow through. But if you can't, oh, a CR has happened, right? You let people know. That's totally a skill people will have plenty of opportunity to practice if continuing <laughs> resolution happens, as we think it will. Um, but it also suggested two things to support creativity. One was being open to considering new ideas and creating in the environment in which people can try new things. We hear about this tons, right? Um, so, But if they fail, you get a lesson learned, and there's value from that. So and if the thing comes through as planned, there's value from that, too. That's great. You succeeded. Either way, it's a win-win. And the commentary also mentioned an interesting adjunct to this, which is allowing anonymity for new ideas. And I actually thought that was a super suggestion. You know, if you're a little bit concerned about it, I mean, nobody wants to look stupid in front of the rest of the group. Nobody wants to imagine, oh, if this doesn't pan out, their manager is going to remember at performance review time that they made that cockamamie suggestion that either never even got tried or got tried, but, you know, it didn't work out as expected. Then there was some crossover between this commentary and DOD's announcement about creating the defense digital service, right? Now, that draft document specifically said, and I quote, they want to create a safe space to experiment, test, potentially fail, and iterate as necessary, an innovation bunker that exists outside the traditional system, right? So, again, a recurring theme here. And it also called out some strategies for, right, exchanging talent with the private sector. Employees go both, you know, from you take two and you exchange them, they go to the other side, they experiment a little bit, they bring back new ideas ideas, but they bring in their own ideas, and then also expanding opportunities for civilian employees who are kind of at that mid-level, making it easier for them to move around among the different defense components and rotate in different assignments, things like that. All right, where am I going with all this, and what does this have to do with the continuing resolution? Well, maybe these are things that don't actually cost a lot of money that can be used to help improve morale when it's getting kicked in the teeth. So maybe some of these ideas can be used to fulfill those development opportunities that employees see as derailed under a CR. You know, the people who want to move up from the GS-11, GS-12 to expand their skills. Does a knowledge interchange with industry have to cost money? Or do rotational assignments even within an, or an organization have to cost money? And, you know, I mean, a little bit, sure, for training. But, you know, that, that seems pretty cheap to me, right, if you're willing to branch out. So if the CR comes down the pike and leaders are coming out from the organizations and they're saying, oh, these are the trade-offs we're going to be making, and they give you the opportunity to share your ideas, well, maybe this is something you want to encourage them to explore. And if you are a leader in the organization, maybe it's something you want to look into. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that's an interesting interesting way of looking at it. A CR wouldn't let you make big changes, but swapping job duties or assignments might be a loophole that could be exploited. Um, you know, if there's technically no training money or if the training's not in the right place, you might be able to rely on things like mentoring or rotations, information exchanges, and things like that uh, to offer your employees development opportunities or just something interesting to do. And, and frankly, if you do have to revamp a plan for a program that was underway because suddenly you're, you know, okay, well, we have some money that was already, you know, obligated, but it's, it's a fourth of what we were thinking – it wouldn't necessarily hurt to have, you know, fresh thinking come in and look at it because, you know, they don't have already the preconceptions of how the program was going to roll out and now the money's been taken away for that. So, you know, it, it could also be used to move those things forward as well. Interesting thought. Okay. <laughs> and that's all we have for this week. 
Uh, thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, you can find our podcast on iTunes. You can search for ASI Government or the title of the podcast, which is On the Go with VAO. You can listen to us there directly, download the file to your computer or mobile device, and subscribe to automatically download the latest episode when it is released. If you're a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to the headlines we recapped for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. And don't forget, you can also comment about it. We love to have your feedback on the format, content we covered, or anything else you'd like to tell us. Tune in again on September 18th for our next weekly news recap. And thank you for joining us today.